Welcome to the Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our next episode. Um, so as you know, we've started talking more and more uh, about you know oncology or mm-hmm. cancer topics. Yep. Before we go into the specifics of uh, the oncology syndromes, I think Andy and I have had a bit of a chat and we thought we should cover some of the familial carcinomas first to give you a bit of a background about heritable forms of cancer and then we'll go and talk about the specifics of you know breast cancer and colorectal in future episodes exactly how does that sound sounds good great so do you want to kick us off andy yeah so when we talk about uh, cancers that have a familial uh, linkage you, you come up with some of the uh, common common cancers that we think about right so we've got retinoblastomas familial breast ovarian cancers um some of the colon cancers as well yep. isn't it yeah exactly and they're um most familial cancers are associated with tumor suppressor genes. Mm-hmm. And if you're not sure what by what we mean by tumor suppressor genes, have a listen to our introductory um, mm-hmm. uh, episode on, on oncology. We go through all of these in a, in a bit more detail. Yep. So it's definitely worth a listen to the previous episode. Yep. But yeah, you're right. So you've got your tumor suppressor genes. Are there other, can oncogenes be heritable as well? I don't think there are that many of them. Mm, but there are, there are a few syndromes that are related to the oncogenes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there's um, RET. Yeah. So there are some genes that are causative of these sort of syndromes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Ret, uh, met. We talk about um, cyclin dependent kinase form mutations. Um, Fanconi, I think, and some forms of hereditary non polyposis colorectal carcinomas, which we'll talk about in our colorectal section, are also associated with um, some types of onc genes. Maybe not so much um, hereditary non polyposis. But we'll, we'll talk more about that um, uh, in this episode. If a patient presents to me on the ward and, um, you know, they have cancer, how do I know whether that's hereditary versus just, you know, somatic random mutations that have led to this? Actually, that's, that's a pretty good question. And so there are a few clinical features that, that present, uh, that suggest a possible familial or inherited uh, presentation of a, a cancer, a characteristic yeah. of a cancer. So let's say if it happens in a patient at an unusually young age, mm-hmm. that, that's something that yeah. you suspect, or maybe it's a familial thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, if there's multiple tumors in a single organ, or if it's a bilateral in a paired organ, yeah. then you could, you could suspect that um, if it's maybe more more than one primary tumor then you could start thinking okay maybe there yeah. is some inherited component kind of shows that there are probably genetic abnormalities present in all of these cells and mm-hmm. then one or two pockets of these cells are suddenly becoming rogue that's and true. i guess that's also true for bilateral because you know if you have a somatic type so yeah. if it's not an inheritable form mm-hmm. only one cell line on one side of the body might be affected yes there's no reason for both sides to be affected yeah, what are unless... the chances for both sides to actually yeah. develop the same type of mutation at the same i mean time? it can happen if it's metastasized but yeah. we're talking about non-metastatic cases i guess in mm. this circumstances are there anything else that we, we can well the family history would also suggest yeah be quite important eh? if there's a strong family history mm-hmm. um and that could suggest that there might be um some sort of something's being passed down from generation to generation and I think if you're, if you have um, congenital abnormalities or birth defects, that can sometimes place you at an increased risk or maybe associated with certain familial cancers as well. Yeah. So there's a few really important examples, right? That yes. we need to focus on. 
I think we kind of alluded to retinoblastoma in our uh, in, uh, in previous with regards to the gene side of it. Yes. But there is actually the familial cancer as well. Do you want to maybe talk about that for a little bit? Sure. Why not? So, like with the retinoblastoma, um, it's essentially it's a tumor of the retinal stem cells in the eye. The the problem originates from the retinoblastoma one gene on chromosome thirteen, mm. and it's a uh, cancer of autosomal dominant transmission. Yeah, that's um, right. One of the important things that this Cancer is of a two-hit model. And um, do you want to tell the audience? Yeah, do you want to just briefly cover it? So I guess two-hit model means that Mm -hmm. you don't suddenly develop cancer just because of a mutation, right? There's lots of redundancies in place to minimize that. Uh What happens is that you can sometimes have a mutation... Yep. And then something else happens that causes another mutation to that gene, and now you have a completely non-functional gene. Okay. And that can then predispose you to developing cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's essentially what the two-hit model means. Sometimes you might have this dysfunctional gene that what first hit from germline, which means from birth, you you know, in your em- embryological cells, that dysfunction is present. Yep. Sometimes you can develop in terms of you know a somatic disorder where you might get the first hit, then a second hit, then you're at an increased risk of developing cancer. Um, so I guess in terms of retinoblastoma, when would you see this, um, given the fact that it is kind of hereditary? Do you see it when you're young or when, you, when you're old? And with this one, it actually presents really young. Uh, the, the patients usually are quite a young age, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, on the average age from the statistics-wise, a unilateral presentation usually occurs at around 26 months, whereas a bilateral presentation mm. occurs at, at eight months of age. Yeah. That, I'd say that's that's really quite young. It's not a very common sort of type of cancer. It's about one in twenty thousand yeah. of infants born alive, and I think it has a um, uh, it can occur equally in both females and males. Yeah. But it's an important one to know about because I think this was the first sort of this gene and its discovery and this cancer was the first um, way that we started to understand how cancers work and, and um, the, the sort of the relationships to ge- uh, genetics as well. Yes. Let's talk about the really important one. Yep. And that is the BRCA genes. In breast cancer. Yeah, in breast cancer. So yep. BR, breast, BRCA um, is, is the gene. Mm-hmm. So I think about 10 to 15% of breast cancers are familial. Okay. Now, yeah. this is different to it stemming from the BRCA genes. Okay. Of those, yep. around 5 to 10% is hereditary. So it's passed down from one generation to another. So okay. out of that familial bracket, there's yes. only a very smaller percentage of which mm-hmm. is actually hereditary. And of that... About two-thirds of the hereditary ones yeah. are actually caused by BRCA1 and BRCA2. Um, so do you want to maybe talk about a yeah. little bit about the BRCA, BRCA genes? Yeah, of course. So with the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes, they once again, these are also an, another autosomal dominant type of genetic uh, cancer. Yeah. So the BRCA1 gene is located on chromosome 17 and the BRCA2 gene is located on chromosome 13. They have a high prevalence in um, the Ashkenazi Jewish people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Ashkenazi yeah. Jewish people, I think um, uh, historically they've got quite a number of diseases that have been associated with them, mm. and it's because it's a very close sort of population in terms of you know marriage within close yeah. family members and uh, not not close mm. family, but marriage within a very small community. Yes, and so that makes it really tricky because the gene pool is very limited, mm. um, so and that's lack why, of diversity. Yeah, lack of diversity. Yeah. Um, so, 
What sort of gene is the BRCA gene anyway? Is it a mm. sort of an oncogene or is it a well, tumor suppressor? What is it? The, the proteins produced by this gene are usually important in repairing DNA damage. Mm. So if we've got, uh, so essentially there are tumor suppressor genes in, yes. in a sense as well. And so what's important about it is that if you if you lack or if you've got a mutation in these, then your the cells are more likely to uh, yeah. accumulate mutations. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think they are tumor suppressor genes, but their primary function is to repair DNA's um, uh, as a, the, the proteins that are coded are important for DNA repair. Yeah. Um, it needs to be mentioned that we know only the tip of the iceberg, so we know only a certain number of mm-hmm. mutations, right? But there's lots of mutations that could be present that we haven't developed the technology or, or the tools to detect. They're just unidentified. Yeah, yep. that are unidentified at the moment, and so. Um, as a consequence, this is important. Has important implications for genetic screening. Yes. We'll talk about that in a, in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is this one of those germline mutations, or is this one of those somatic mutations? I think this is once again you can you you, you can classify it with like the two hit model. So, mm-hmm. primarily, you've, you've got a a genetic lesion such as a germline mutation. What mm-hmm. that means is something that is um, affecting one of the stem cells and passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. And then subsequently, later on in life, the patient picks up a somatic mutation mm. and um, that really kicks things off. Yeah, exactly. So with the um, BRCA1 genes, they're often triple negative. They're really high-grade cancers and occurring in really young women, which is really devastating for them mm. and also for their family. Triple um, negative, I think, um, maybe, uh, I think we might have mentioned this before, but it's mm. just a negative in certain types types of receptors yeah and so we'll, we'll talk about it more later on absolutely we won't go into too much detail about what triple negative means until we talk about the breast cancer um talk in a, in a future episode yeah and i think bracket one can be bracket predom- sorry bracket two can be predominantly estrogen positive yeah and this occurs later in life so bracket one seems to occur much earlier in younger females and yep. bracket two occurs a little bit later mm. and i think bracket two from memory is associated with Breast cancers in men as well, okay. um, which is really so, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but does it only does the BRCA gene only cause breast cancer, Andy, or does it cause other um, cancers as well? No, they can lead to like different uh, other things as well. So, like ovarian cancer also has a link with the BRCA mm. BRCA one uh, associated uh, well deficiencies, I guess. Yeah. Um. So you've got the ovarian cancers can come up at a chance of like twenty to forty percent, and like breast cancers usually have a sixty to eighty percent presentation. Yeah, because I think Angelina Jolie had BRCA1, if I'm not mistaken. She had the full okay. mastectomy. Well, we'll talk about treatments mm. in a second. Yeah. But yeah, so when you're thinking about BRCA1, think about the, or BRCA in general. There's an ovarian risk of ovarian cancer, and there's also a risk of breast cancer as well. Interesting. And BRCA2, there's a, also a risk. In about 7% of um, male patients with breast cancer, it's also been implicated in that as well. Mm. So this brings us to, the, I guess, very briefly about management approaches for BRCA1. Sure. I guess, like, when we talk about cancer management, you cannot really skip over the screening component. Yeah. Because it's very important to, the earlier you pick up on the cancer, mm. the the, um, the better the prognosis, yeah. the easier the treatment. And obviously, we'll talk about breast cancer screening in way more depth when mm. we talk about yeah. the breast cancer topic. But let's briefly touch, touch yeah. on this So, topic. with breast cancer screening, you can do mammographies or MRIs. Uh, basically, you look at, like, the densities of yeah. the actual breast tissue, etc., which we'll go into. Um, I think they've tried some ovarian screenings, but that hasn't really been shown to... I don't think there's an effective screening program for ovarian. Mm. When we talk about ovarian cancer, we'll talk about but the screening is really poor. Mm. Um, so how do you treat it then? So once you, you know, obviously you start screening these patients much more frequently because they mm. have this massive genetic risk factor. Yeah. Are there any treatment options before the well, cancer develops? I 
from from what we were told was that you do you can do prophylactic bilateral mastectomies. I guess with, if you don't have breast, then then you won't have breast cancer. Yeah, because you've removed all the potential tissues that may be implicated. So possibly that was only done for people who are really at the at risk. Um, yeah, at risk groups. And I think it decreases decreases the risk of breast cancer by um, approximately ninety percent. So there's still mm. a ten percent risk, but yeah, it's much much more substantially reduced. Yes. What about the ovarian component? Do they well, do patients have can they go on with the ovaries or do they need to be taken out? Well, they also have a procedure called a prophylactic bilateral salpingo oophrectomy. Oh, oh, Um So I think that's essentially like removing the removing the ovaries as a mm. um, prophylaxis. Yeah, and this actually reduces the risk of um, ovarian cancer by a massive amount, by 96 to 98%. Huh. And the fact that you've actually removed the ovaries and then you remove the estrogen component yep. um, can actually reduce, in, in those patients that are responsive to estrogen receptors, yep. um, can reduce the risk by 50%. So just removing in the ovaries cancer. can reduce the risk of breast cancer huh. in these patients, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there might be a role potentially for chemo prevention, so using drugs like tamoxifen and aromatase inhibitors. Yep. So guys, don't worry. We'll talk about all of these. I, I know we're introducing a lot of new terms here, but don't worry. We'll talk about about all of these in a lot more detail. It's all about exposure. Exactly, yeah. We're just kind of whetting your appetite for what's to yes. come. <laughs> um, so tell me more about, you kind of touched on this, what about genetic uh, yep. screening? Yeah, actually. What so if I've got BRCA2 and bracket, yeah. or BRCA2 and I yep. want to know whether any of my family members are affected or whether I'm affected to begin with? Mm. So like the genetic tests play a huge role in, in breast cancer in, in the sense that since it has a, a, a familial component to it, it's important to, to get it tested and find out whether if, mm. as, as you said, whether if your family members are going to get affected. Um, so specific tests are currently available for some genes, such as the BRCA1 or 2, um, P53, the gatekeeper, yeah. as well yeah. as um, another gene called P10. So I think with genetic counseling, because yeah. these are really like, I mean, that can have life-changing implications. If you're suddenly found to be carry, a carrier BRCA1 and you're you know, 20 years old, you're essentially faced with a decision to undergo bilateral mastectomy to reduce your chances or remove your ovaries. So imagine the implications for fertility mm-hmm. and also passing this on to your offsprings. Yep. But what about your siblings as well? Could they be affected? So it's a lot of decisions that you need to consider. Mm-hmm. And that's why before any screening procedures of this nature, patients are often given extensive genetic counseling. And in terms of screening, um, you tend to use, you know, um, next generation um, sequencing, which is a much more rapid way of analyzing the genes. Mm. You can't do it for every gene, obviously, because for one, we don't know every allele and every mutation. And two, mm. the technology is still relatively expensive to do whole genome sequencing. Yeah. But you've got three categories. You want to talk about the different categories? Well, with category one gene mutations, they uh, these these gene mutations are highly penetrant, and they can be. So, what does penetrant mean? So, penetrant means that uh, the degree of the disease showing through in a person. So, right? phenotypic expression, I guess, yes. is is the way. Of- so, someone who's highly penetrant who has the disease shows strong characteristics, yeah. possibly even at an early on stage. Mm. Whereas a low penetrance means that maybe, let's say, you have the disease, but maybe that doesn't show up as often or affect yeah. you as, as, yeah. as That's bad. That's beautifully put. 
Yeah. So, yeah. So, I think you said BRCA1 and BRCA2 are classified as Category 1 genes. Highly and, penetrant, yeah. Yeah, so they're highly penetrant. But also the good news is that we actually know, based on research, mm-hmm. how to go about managing these patients, right? Yeah. That's why, um, you know, we know to perform mastectomies when necessary or remove the ovaries, etc. Mm. What about Category 2? Now we're getting a bit murkier, aren't we? Yeah, it's definitely. So, with Category 2, they, they're moderately... So, people identified with these particular gene mutations show moderate penetrance and are associated with a sl- moderate risk of breast cancer or ovarian cancer so i think what essentially it means is that they have identified and you go okay i think there is a increased risk mm. but does uh, but sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't yeah and how do we know what the best management options are mm. and what's category three well category three becomes even less uh I guess you could say maybe less, uh, more uncertain. Mm. The uncertainty increases. Far more uncertain. So they are newly identified genes with not well uh, that are not well characterized. Maybe it's just because they're so new, or mm. maybe it's a lack of research. So far, it's just we flag them, and we're not too sure how to interpret them. Yeah, imagine the anxiety and sort of the issues this is going to cause for a patient yeah. who is found to have like, you know one of these you genes. Could, you could say sometimes that with genetics at the moment is just sometimes you may be knowing too much about it. Yeah. You don't know how, what to do with all this. Yeah, time. exactly. It's kind of like, you know, diagnosis without treatment, right? Mm. What's the point of doing a diagnostic test if you don't have a treatment option? Oh, true. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. It's like screening for a disease that you can't really treat or don't know how to handle. <laughs> yeah. You're so going to die, but we've got nothing to do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We don't know what to do with this information, but mm. yeah, yeah, good luck. Yeah. Um, let's finish off this okay. topic by talking about DNA repair genes. So there's a whole group of fam- uh, her- familial cancers that may be associated with DNA repair genes. Mm. Can you tell me what... Mm. I mean, the name sort of gives it away, but what is it? And what sort of mutations can you have? Definitely. So with the DNA repair genes, so essentially they're, what they are, they're targeted by loss of function mutations. Mm. And, um, mm. and what, what that means is that they're mutations that cause the particular DNA repairers in, in the... Uh, within the cell to actually lose lose its yeah. ability to, so it do, to repair it. And um, they're a bit different to what we were talking before about the tumor suppressor genes because the DNA repair genes, they, they're, di- uh, they're indirectly involved in the, the growth inhibition as well as cell differentiation, whereas the tumor suppressor genes, they... They were more. They had a more direct effect towards yeah. this because they decide whether a cell goes. So for I think P fifty three is a tumor suppressor, isn't it? Uh, so it retinoblastoma definitely was one as well. Yeah, yeah I think P fifty three is one yeah. as well because mm. without the P fifty three signal, the cell dies, right? So these guys are like hardcore G one to S phase, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. exactly. G one to S, yeah, yes. S phase. That's yeah. right. Um, so if you're not sure what we're talking about, listen to our introductory podcast. It's all covered there. Yeah. Um, so, if the DNA repair genes are not working, what are some of the consequences? It's, it's a little bit obvious, but let's mm. clear, clear yeah. the air. So, if you don't have DNA repair uh, genes activated, then your rate of mutation increases mm. in um, in other cell, in other yeah. parts of the gene. Um, so, this could lead to an increase in proto. Uh, so, this could increase the risk of mutations in proto oncogenes yeah. as well as tumor suppressor genes. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, the the damage would be. Uh, Accumulative, yeah. So kind of like that, all the mutations build up. So imagine the sort of aggressive tumors that you could potentially develop mm-hmm. as a consequence of um, accumulating uh, mutations. Yes, there's two type that we are interested in. Can you mm. ex- give us an okay. example of those two? 
So one of them would be the nucleotide excision repairs, right? Yeah. So these essentially remove a wider range, uh, a wide array of unrelated DNA mm. damage. Yeah. And also repair the helix distortion from, I guess, like chemicals and other things like yeah. that. So for example, uh, um, carcinogens or even like UV light, um, when they cause damage to the DNA, these nucleotide excision repairs would, uh, repairs would, would help correct that damage. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the other one? There's another, that's the, I guess the second one is far mm. more important in my opinion, because mm-hmm. we're going to dedicate an entire topic on this. Uh, well, the other one would be the mismatch repair. Yeah. Wasn't that correct? Yeah. Really important. Um, I guess, so I guess the mismatch repair gene is kind of like the spell checker. It goes through every frame of the DNA mm-hmm. sequence and ensures that the nucleotides that are paired are actually matched. So the A's match with T's and the G's match with C's, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what happens is that if this mismatch repair is not working, mm-hmm. then, um, you're going to obviously not have appropriate pairing. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to start accumulating more and more mutations because these new nucleotides that are inserted are not being corrected. Yeah. And so this plays an important risk factor for um, a type of colorectal cancer called hereditary non-polyposis mm-hmm. colorectal cancer or yep. Lynch syndrome is another common term for it. We'll talk about this uh, in a future episode. And so these mutations can occur in microsatellites and we'll talk about microsatellites later uh, in, in, in the colorectal episode. But how do we know, how do we test for the presence of, let's say, mismatch repair enzymes that have, that have gone wrong? So there's a testing called the microsatellite instability uh, test. So you essentially look at regions, uh, microsatellite regions of the, mm. the cell DNA, and you will see these differences that occur if, especially there's the mismatch repair damage. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's referred to as a expansion or contraction of um, of the microsatellite regions. But what exactly does that mean? So that, I think my understanding, and obviously I'm not, in, this is um, a very complicated area, but so let's say when normally G's match with C's, right? Yes. In a, so in G nucleotide matches with, you know, um, cytosine or whatever yes. that nucleotide is. Yep. Let's say we introduce a T against the C. Now, mm. they're not going to match properly, right? No. And that causes kinks in the DNA. Okay. And so using the microsatellite instability testing, you can measure the degree of kinking in the DNA. Okay. And so normally the cutoff is if um, you, you're shown to have microsatellite instability if greater than 30% of, mm. um, of, of that portion of the DNA that you're investigating shows these sort of kinkings and expansions or contractions that, as we mentioned mm-hmm. and that shows that there's some sort of abnormality mm-hmm. and also when you have genetic mutations that affect your mismatch repair genes some of these genes are the protein products are not expressed mm-hmm. so you can run immunohistochemistry um, to see yes. whether the cells are actually expressing it. and that's another way of confirming your okay. um, confirming your suspicions sure do you want to is there anything else you want to talk about before we sort of wrap up the familial New oh, we could we could just go to go into a summary. Yeah, that's still a yeah. summary. Um, do you want to go through it? Yeah. Okay. So we talked about like the familial components of uh, cancers today, uh, referring to ones that are caused by tumor suppressor genes, yeah. um, such as the what the retinoblastomas, mm. um, the breast cancers. Yeah. Talked breast about cancers BRCA1 one and BRCA two. Yeah. And their different presentations. And then we also went through diseases that, uh, well, cancers that had a component due to DNA repair gene yep. uh, mutations. 
It's very, and then obviously signs and symptoms of, you know, when you have a suspicion that there is a familial component, you know, if, if that's right. patients really young, if they have bilateral sort of presentation, if they have multiple primary tumors, yeah. it's important. Um, if they've had a, a strong family history, that's something else to be mindful of as well. And if they had congenital abnormalities or birth defects as well. Yeah. Um, so that's it for um, this very brief introduction to familial neoplasias. Yes. Um, Join us as always uh, in our future episodes and we're going to start getting more and more into the specifics of it. So this, obviously the first two episodes have been really broad, but now we're going to dive right into the specific cancers, um, one organ system at a time, I think. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. And we'll see you next time.